All right. Welcome to 2020. Jared, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, if you're waking up in the Midwest area, not down in Dallas, you woke up to a nice sheet of snow. I got about six inches out there. I just had to run outside and tennis shoes to move my car so the snowplow could uh, could get down our street and my feet are freezing, but I'm ready to I'm ready to make some money. I'm pretty amped about 2020. 2019 finished pretty strong for me. I'm ready to get it started. Uh, you can warm those odds, feet up with this fire I'm about to bring. All right, all right. I'm ready for it. I was just going to say, at odds, wishes you a happy new year here um, in 2020. We apologize. It's been a few weeks since uh, you've heard from us. I know you're eager to make some money, but uh, a couple of reasons for that. We've been pretty busy you know, around the holidays. Also, NFL games just in general have dropped off, and that's probably the most popular bet that we make and probably around the country. So we'll get right into it, though. We don't want to waste your guys' uh, 2020 with a bunch of nonsense. Jared, you at least want to break down a little bit of where we left off a few weeks ago? Yeah, so I had a pretty rough week, but I, uh, not entirely my fault. So I had MSU scoring over 27. They scored 27, so at least didn't lose. <clears throat> they did everything in their power to not cover that, though. I think they had a turnover on, like, the 20-yard line. They had a fumble on, like, the 4-yard line, and they missed a 27-yard field goal or something like that. So 99.9% .9 of the time, that's going over. Uh, A&M, I had a minus 5.5. I think they blew a late lead and won that 4. Uh, and then OSU money line. We all know that game was just rigged, so I didn't really see a chance in that one. But I mean, that you, you can't go against a rigged football game. I didn't know they were going to rig it for Clemson. I should have gone with Clemson on that one. But oh well, you live and you learn. And I guess Oklahoma, yeah. I was just completely wrong. I didn't realize LSU was the best team of all time. So yeah, they seriously did maybe cap off the best season of all time. But a few weeks ago, I was also in on the Michigan State game. I will tell you, I was at work actually streaming it. Man, my emotions ran up and down on that one. I actually won my my parlay, which is MSU to cover three and a half and the under on that game. And I barely covered on both of them because, if, like you said, Michigan State missed that field goal. I would have lost on the over-under. Wake Forest had several chances to at least bring it within three and a half, um, and they didn't. So I got a little lucky on that, but I did lose on the Pacers money line. I lost on my super underdog parlay and I lost on the bills because they ended up really not starting any of their players in the, I think the jets it was that they, they played well, but I did get the dolphins plus 16 against the Patriots when they won that game straight up. So, uh, those are, that was my good bet of the week. Really? I ended up losing a little bit that week, but not too much. I'm still strong coming into 2020 at two ninety five point five units. So I'm just a few units short of tripling up. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm hoping I can get to that number now. Uh, if you don't have any hesitation, Jared, I'm going to jump right in here to my first pick. You ready? Let's hear it. <clears throat> All right. So I'm going to bring us back to basketball. You know, I'm going to have to broaden my horizon a little bit. Granted the college or given that the college football season, I should say has ended and the NFL season is winding down to an end. Uh, you're going to see how I have to get a little creative this weekend in order to still bet on the NFL. But I'm going to take us into basketball first. I'm going to take the Boston Celtics at minus six um, playing the Phoenix Suns. First of all, it's a pretty big mismatch. Boston Celtics, one of the best teams in the East, top six or seven team in the entire NBA. Phoenix Suns, one of the bottom teams in the West, one of the not so great teams in the NBA. So just right off there, you got a pretty big discrepancy and Boston's at home. Now, here's why I really like this bet. Jason Tatum's been out for a little while. He's actually coming back. 
uh, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart are now day-to-day. I think they were out before that. So they are returning some high-caliber players. But more than that, Boston's been a little shaky recently. And I'm looking for that kind of coined phrase term I like to of regression to expectation. Um, Boston, everybody thought was going to be one of the top teams in the East. And they've played like it thus far. But through the past few games, they've really, really actually been struggling pretty hard. I'm just going to go past their last full handful of games. Lost to Milwaukee, lost to the Pistons. They did beat Chicago and New Orleans, but then they lost to Philadelphia, San Antonio, Washington. Um, And then a few games before that, they lost to Toronto. So really in the past 10 games, this Boston Celtics team has been pretty up and down. So it's not going to be like one of those games where Phoenix comes into Boston, gets a little bit of a shaky Celtics team because they've been hot. They just kind of care less, look past the Suns. They really need this win almost. They've lost to two Eastern Conference teams in a row. And in their past seven games, they've lost five. So this is a game that Brad Stevens is really going to have the Celtics right for. I really believe in them to cover this game. I was actually going to take the Pistons to beat them straight up, but I didn't. Um, I kind of regret that. I feel like I've got a ticker a little bit with this Boston team. Sometimes they struggle against, you know, Teams that you are just kind of like, huh, that's kind of weird. So that's why this is a little bit of a shaky pick for the Phoenix Suns. But I'm just liking the better team on a skid at home to come and play one of their better games of the season. I think that they win this game against Phoenix by 10 or so. Um, My bet on that is seven to return 583, seven units to return 583. Not the best odds, but I do really think the Celtics have a pretty easy chance covering six points there, Um, especially (laughs) down, down the stretch if they're up by four or five and Phoenix has a couple fouls there. So I look for Boston to get right, stay first in the Atlantic uh, division and really take it to the Phoenix Suns here. Yes. Yeah, so I don't have a whole lot to comment. I haven't been following the NBA a whole lot. So it sounds like pretty good reasoning to me though. If you want a uh, free 583 units, you just got about seven. And so. What if I want a free thousand? Well, you know, I'm not that wealthy, so I can't do that math. Um, so I'm going to stick in basketball right now, and I'm taking Florida to cover minus two against Auburn. Um, real quick, and a lot of you are probably going to laugh at me for this reasoning, but the entire reasoning I'm picking this game is because the line doesn't make sense. And a lot of you are probably saying, well, that's stupid. <laughs> but look at it. Auburn's the number four team in the country. They're 15-1. and one playing Florida, a, a pretty good team, 11-5, and five, but nowhere on the uh, scale that Auburn is. And Florida is somehow a minus-two favorite. And for what it's worth, if you look at the game on ESPN, the ESPN's FPI index or whatever they have predictor has a 62% chance Florida wins. What this is telling you is that the experts know something and the rookies or the average casual fans don't. Now, it's not always right, but as I think Adam's brought up a couple times in the past, the Vegas hunch, I've kind of been tracking on my own loosely, and there definitely is something to it. Uh, This is one of those classic games where somebody that doesn't know what they're doing runs in and goes, oh, Auburn, this is a perfect chance for me to get some plus 110 money line on them because they're a way better team than Florida, which they are, but there's a reason that they put the line like they did, and it's because they know something. And I would much prefer to be on Vegas' side than against Vegas, especially in these kind of games. They've been in this business forever. They make billions of dollars a year. They know what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Whenever I see a line that doesn't make sense, I tend to go for it. A couple months ago, 
people were complaining everywhere because I think Maryland and was it Penn State? Penn State was like a minus one against Maryland, and everybody thought there was no chance Penn State won. There was like four games in a row like that. I think Michigan and Illinois was one. where Everybody thought that made no sense. Illinois was like a two-point favorite. Illinois won. Uh, I think there was a, I think Louisville was undefeated playing somebody, and they were a plus two, and the other team won. I can't. There was a fourth game. I can't remember it, but basically Vegas nailed all four of them when they had these top five teams playing on the road against a decent team at a small spread of about minus one or two. Now, again, with these lines that don't make sense, once they get up to about four or five, it's still something to look at, but that gets a little scary because it's easy to lose that four or five. Maybe you're up five and they hit a last minute bucket, but a minus two, you're getting a push at a minus two. So really they're saying they think Florida is going to win. The only way that they are correct and you lose this bet is if they win by one, which can happen, but I like to take my odds that they at least cover the one. I get the push, if not the win. Um, again, main reasoning here is it, it doesn't make sense, so I'm going for it. Ten units for eight seventy return. Yeah, I like that that Vegas hunch. Really, it's it seems to hold pretty true. I mean, when you logically think about it, amateurs, even professional betters, struggle to beat Vegas. So when you see a line that doesn't really make sense when I was really early into the sports betting game, those would be the ones I'd be all over. Just like you said, Oh, Auburn, a 15 and one team is an underdog. I'm going to jump all over that. That's free money. And you know, sometimes obviously Auburn's going to win, but the reason why Vegas sets those spreads like they do is because they are enticing you to bet on Auburn. If they put it at Auburn minus one or something, you might not bet on Auburn, but you said they're making Florida the favorite, right? Yep. And that's a good point. Yeah, That's Vegas is begging you to bet on Auburn. I, you know, again, I'm sure Vegas is going to be wrong sometimes. So if you make this bet six or seven times, you might lose a couple of them. But when Vegas is almost like saying, hey, bet on this team, bet on this team, bet on this team, please. It's you got to take a step back and say, no, let's bet on the other team because all signs are pointing to this. But I promise you, Vegas knows more about making money on sports sports gambling than you do um, unless you're a world-class sports gambler. So I think following that Vegas trend is. And you made a good point is if Auburn were the minus one, maybe stay away. Like I said, I was tracking probably about 50 games and in general, the, the hunch was winning, but especially when the underdog was the favorite. Now you run into issues when Auburn's minus one and you go, Oh man, that's kind of hunchy. I'm going to take Florida. But what they're saying is this is going to be a very close game and Auburn's going to pull it out. So if you take Florida from a hunch standpoint, um, but Auburn goes on to win by two instead of one, Vegas was right. You were right that it was going to be a close game. You just took the wrong side. You have to really look for when they think the dog is the favorite and it's a very small number that's easy to cover. Otherwise, they can be right and you just lose because they're telling you Florida's going to win this game. And it's going to be a close one. So pick yeah. Florida and win the game. When it's the opposite, they're telling you Auburn's going to win this game close. That's when you want to stay away from. Yeah, what that is is it's it's just creative creative betting. It's trying to put some uh, objectivity in the some subjective numbers, trying to figure out why one team is favored or not. But Jared, if you don't mind, it's time for us to go into the NFL. And I think Derrick Henry's ready for you because my next bet is going to be a slam dunk. I love this. I've been looking on FanDuel recently. I recommend a lot of people do that. They got some very fun prop bets on there. Um, And that's why I said I'm going to have to get creative to play a lot of NFL this weekend. Um, And here's the first one. Derrick Henry 
plus Aaron Jones plus Damian Williams combine for 300 rushing yards um, this weekend. My bet on that is a 10-unit bet to return 10.5. A couple reasons why I like this. Let's just get it out of the way. Let's let's. It's pretty obvious why you're going to like this bet, just because it has Derrick Henry involved in it. Derrick Henry has been an an absolute madman. For this to bet to pick up, each rusher has to average 100 yards, obviously, this weekend. Derrick Henry's last three games in the playoffs here, 195, 182, 211. My man is averaging two-thirds of that by himself. Now, Damian Williams is the tough one to predict in this because he's the kind of guy that could go for 20 rushing yards or could go for 75 or 80. If he goes for 30 rushing yards, it might be a little difficult for us to pick this up because then you're going to have to be looking at Aaron Jones and Derrick Henry combining for each like 130, which is is definitely possible. But I think the two people really carrying this bet are Aaron Jones and Derrick Henry. Aaron Jones passed five games. Let's listen to these. 62, 100, 154, 51, and 134. So over that, he's averaging, it looks like a little over 100 rush yards per game in the last four games. And he's played some solid defenses, including the Seahawks and the Bears in there and the Vikings. So those are all good defensive teams. Not that the 49ers aren't a good defensive team. But when you're looking at this, specifically the Damian Williams Derrick Henry leg of this 300 yards. You know Tennessee's only chance to win this game is to force feed Derrick Henry and get him hot. If Derrick Henry is rushing for 75, 80 yards, Tennessee's got no chance in this game. I look at Kansas City to counteract Tennessee in the same exact way that they're trying to affect them. The best way to defend Patrick Mahomes is keep him on the sideline. Best way to do that is feed Derrick Henry. Well, conversely, the best way to stop the Titans is to keep Derrick Henry on the sideline. Make it so he's not getting 25, 30 carries a game. Put him in the position where he's only getting 18 to 20 carries a game. Then you're really putting the Titans behind the ropes. For you to do that, you have to have dominant ball control. In order to have dominant ball control, it can't be Patrick Mahomes dropping back, throwing 60, 70 yard bombs every play. Obviously, if Kansas City can put up 40 points in the game, they're going to do that and win the game. But I don't think Andy Reid is going to come into this game with this blind approach of just throw the ball, score as many points, see if Tennessee's going to keep up. We've seen teams try to do this against the Titans, and the Titans have just bled them away. I mean, look at the teams that the Titans have beaten recently. They've beaten the Texans, granted that was in the uh, in the regular season, but the Patriots and the Ravens. Those are two teams that can play completely different style. The Patriots try to suffocate you and score minimal points and win on the last possession. The Ravens try to run it down your throat and score a touchdown every single possession. The Titans looked great against both teams. They looked significantly better or significantly worse, I should say, against the Patriots, a team, though, that just tried to grind that game out. The Patriots had a chance to win it. If you remember, Tom Brady threw a pick six on his own like four yard line with like a minute and a half left. So they didn't have a great chance to win it. But the Ravens had no chance to win it because the Ravens were out there trying to score every single possession. And the Titans have a good enough defense to to at least slow that down and such a unique offense to keep the Ravens off the field and force them to get creative when they are on the field. I just really like 
the matchup between Damian Williams and Derrick Henry here. I think those two actually are going to combine for close to two, 250 rushing yards. And like I said, Aaron Jones is the wild card in that. You know Aaron Jones is going to have to have a good game for this Packers team to win. The Packers have no chance. If Aaron Rodgers has regressed a little bit, he's now no longer top three quarterback, probably top 10 quarterback. This offense runs through their running game. Aaron Rodgers rollout off play actions. Aaron Rodgers play action deep shots. All this stuff is predicated off of Aaron Jones's success early on. I think the game scripts favor all three of these running backs. The only running back in the NFC or AFC championship that isn't favored by game script, in my opinion, is the San Francisco running backs. And that's the only running back not in this little teaser leg parlay bet, whatever you want to call it. So I think all the game scripts favor these three running backs. I think they should easily hit 300. I'm banking on Derrick Henry going for, you know, 175 or something by himself. Maybe I'm a little bit out there because each running back averaging 100 yards is pretty substantial, but I really like the running backs coming down the stretch of this uh, 2020 Super Bowl run. I'm going to bet 10 units of that to return 10.5. Again, doesn't matter how they do it. Those three just have to combine for 300 rushing yards. Yeah, I like that a lot when you sent that over. I might have to tail that one. I, I definitely agree. I think Aaron Jones is probably the key. I think that a lot of people don't believe it, but I think that Chiefs-Titans game is going to set up to be kind of a little bit of a runoff. Uh, like you said, you know the Titans, whether they win or not, they're going to try to possess the ball, run it, grind down the defense. And I think the Chiefs, I mean, they're going to take their shots, but they know that they can't just go out and sling it every single play or else their defense is going to be on the field for 45 minutes. Seriously, I mean... it like that when you're slinging it, even if you're scoring, you're getting off the field in two minutes. And if you're getting three and out, you're off the field in one minute and your defense is getting no rest. They know they have to put a couple long drives together to keep their defense somewhat fresh for the second half of the game. I mean, yeah, even great defenses this year, the Ravens and the Patriots were two great defenses this year, could not keep up with Derrick Henry just because he's that much smash mouth runner, especially in the second half. The Chiefs defense already struggles a little bit. Um, They're not even a premier defense. So I think that Really, the Titans are going to come out and just kind of punch them in the face and run it down their throat. I got more on these games a little bit later. I'll talk a little bit more about the game scripts, but at least for the uh, the rushing attacks, I like those bets. All right, so let's move over to the NHL, which I know will be a shock for most of you. I haven't dabbled in the NHL a whole lot except for my uh, famous bet against the Red Wings to cover 1.5. Uh, I can't remember the exact numbers. I don't have time to redo it every game they have. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, I brought up a point that I think the Red Wings were covering one and a half, like 45% of the time, which that alone makes money for you. And then against teams that were over 500, they're only covering like 38% or something. It was a pretty low number. Um, so here they are again, playing against the Florida Panthers, an over 500 team. So, I mean, that immediately to me is a smash except for the bet. But... I take it one step further here. They're playing on a no-rest night. So the Red Wings played last night, and it actually went to overtime. And so it's, it's a longer game than they're used to playing. Kind of carried a little bit late into the night. So they're going to be back on the ice probably 20 hours after they got off the ice last night. Um, maybe 21. I don't know the exact time the game ended. But they're going on very little rest. They probably went home, slept. They're going to wake up and be right back at the game. Um, Especially that worries me. This Red Wings team is a very young team. They do have some veterans on it, but they're not your typical, like, just absolute leader mentality, great type of player, kind of like a Steve Eisenman when he was starting to retire. Now Steve Eisenman himself is, but 
he's a GM. He's probably not act, interacting with the players on a daily basis. I mean, it's just a young team. Young teams got to go through things and learn things. And I know one of the most challenging things is to be playing on a short rest, getting ready to go out there and do it again, all banged up from the night before. Second thing, if you look at games that Wings did play against a team, now this is, has no record or anything to it, uh, or how good of a team they're playing or how late the game went, but just in general, they played the next day. They are one and eight. They only covered the spread three of those nine games, and they did not cover it six of those games. <laughs> those Listen are some good this. numbers right there. The Red Wings on games after or the day after are averaging 1.5 goals per game. That is abysmal. Now, it's a small sample size. There's only nine games that they've been in that scenario, and they're allowing 3.8 or no, sorry, 3.6. So right there, they're losing by two on those games on average. Um, if you look at their normal averages, their goals against aren't much different. Their average goal against is 3.8 versus 3.6. So you could say they're doing a little bit better, but I mean, that's probably sample size. If they had one game come out where they had four goals on them, it'd probably change it where they're averaging almost an entire goal less. So they average about 2.2. So it's something to do with their offense. They seem to not be able to get going. Um, the one thing that scares me a little bit is now Vadina has actually started playing pretty good for the Red Wings. And he's been scoring goals. Now, I don't think that's going to make the team better, but it maybe makes that one and a half just a little bit riskier of a play. Now the guy that they have a guy that can score. It, it looks like, I mean, he only, I think, has six or seven goals on the season, but he only recently got brought up and actually get real time. They do have a player now that can score from probably just about anywhere if he has a good shot at the net. Um, but still, that's, like I said, it's going to throw a little kink in it, but it's not going to change the overall trend. There's still going to be a bad team that's getting blown out most nights. Um, the one other point I'll make is if you look at those games that they had, uh, um, no nights rest, they had one game where they scored four goals. Every other game was one, two, zero, zero, two, 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 one. I mean, they're not even scoring. It's not like they're putting up three, but giving up seven or something. They're, they're struggling to find the net. And other teams coming in and scoring four goals, five goals, three goals, not a, a blowout type game, but just scoring like a regular game, maybe a goal extra. Um, and again, Florida Panthers coming off a couple days rest. I looked, I think their last game was like two or three days ago. So they do have to travel for the game. It is in Detroit, but they said you get a better team on a couple nights rest versus a young team on no nights rest. That's uh, been struggling in these situations all year. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the trend. Obviously, you'll be wrong here and there, but taking these wings to not cover minus one and a half almost seems like free money. That you don't get that kind of stuff a lot next year with. Hopefully a new coach comes into play. It's, just, it's almost a free bet this year. You just put it in and you don't, you'll need to watch the game and just see how you do after the season. So far. I've been locking it in, and I think I've done it probably 10 times and probably seven of them will hit on it. And you're getting plus money for something that's happening about 50% of the time. It's a, uh, uh, I think it's plus, plus 110. I'm trying to look right now. Plus 115, actually. So I have 10 units for 1150. So you're, you're almost like, it's like rolling a dice, and if you get three, four, five, or six, you're getting plus money. Of course you're going to take that up. Again, I know it's not that exciting, no stylistic matchup or anything like that, but just really just a struggling team playing a much better team on no rest, both very poorly for the struggling young team. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, when in doubt, bet against the Red Wings. Uh, I don't have much to counteract that. Um, I actually just have something to support it. The Red Wings. I'm going to read to you the last team in each of the four divisions, the number of points they have this season. The Red Wings, 
have 28 points. The Devils have 41 points. The Wild have 48 points. And the Kings have 41 points. Those are the four worst teams in the NHL. 41 is the lowest of any of those besides the Red Wings, who are at 28. That's embarrassing. That is embarrassing. So when in doubt, bet against the Red Wings. You're right. Their goal differential, minus 82. <laughs> like, seriously, let that sink in. The second worst team in the entire NHL is at minus 30. No, sorry, minus 42. There's a minus 42. I didn't see that. Minus 82. They're 40 goals behind the next worst. Bet against the Red Wings. I think that's smart. On average, they're probably losing by two, two and a half. So you're betting on something that probably, I mean, you got a 50% chance of hits, but you're getting plus money. And I mean, even as a Red Wings fan, we're not even guaranteed the first overall pick. But regardless (laughs) of that, what what was your bet on that? How how much? 10 units for 11.50. Okay, that's a a good return, positive return on a terrible team. All right, well, I'm going to keep us in the NFL here. Um, Another prop bet going into Championship Sunday. The prop bet I'm taking is which quarterback has the most passing touchdowns uh, this weekend. It's pretty obvious who I'm going to be picking, Patrick Mahomes. It's actually completely even odds on this one. Um, So I'm going to bet seven units and return seven. I don't think this really requires much explanation at all. So I'm not going to, you know, pander and give this long lecture and try to convince you guys to take Patrick Mahomes. It's pretty obvious as to why we're taking Patrick Mahomes here. I'm just going to fall back on the game scripts. Not only is Patrick Mahomes the best quarterback of these four that are left, and it's really not even close, the game scripts are going to benefit Patrick Mahomes throwing touchdowns over the other quarterbacks throwing touchdowns as well. Obviously, it's not hard to explain why Tannehill's probably not going to do it. He might do it. Obviously, he could. There's no saying he's not going to do it. But expecting Ryan Tannehill to come out and throw more than two passing touchdowns or something like that in an AFC championship game, come on, let's take a step back. I, I doubt that's going to happen. The other two are Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo has had a lot of praise this season for, in my opinion, only having a, like a good, a good season, really like a game manager season. Less than 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns to 13 interceptions. He's pretty honestly just had a decent season with a great team around him. The exact same thing can be said about Aaron Rodgers. He has a great touchdown to interception ratio, but the dude barely broke 4,000 yards and he only threw for 26 touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers is not the quarterback that he was five years ago. He's still great and he's still going to help your team win games if he's got a good team around him, but he's not going to be the guy that goes out and throws for 300 yards and three touchdowns. He hasn't thrown for four touchdowns since like almost two months ago. And you have to go back another two months to find a game where he threw three touchdowns. So it's usually a one or two touchdown performance by Aaron Rodgers. The exact same thing can be said about Jimmy Garoppolo. He's thrown for more than one touchdown twice in the past two months. One of them was two touchdowns and one of them was four touchdowns in that Saints absolute crazy game that we all watch. So it's pretty safe bet to think Jimmy Garoppolo is only going to throw one or two touchdowns um, this weekend. Now, if you look at Patrick Mahomes in the past four games, he's thrown for two touchdowns twice. He threw for five touchdowns in the past six games. He's averaging over two and a half touchdowns per game. So Patrick Mahomes is the clear choice here. I don't think you should get smart. Take the easy money. 
just like Jared was talking about, you take this bet a few times. Of course, Ryan Tannehill is going to have that one four touchdown performance or Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have the best week of his career once out of 10 games. But statistically, Mahomes is going to throw more passing touchdowns than any of those other players. And the game script favors Mahomes and the Chiefs over the others. That 49ers Packers game, those are two great defenses battling it out. That could easily be a, you know, a 18-15 game or a 21-16 game or something where a quarterback doesn't throw for more than one touchdown. I just don't see a game where Patrick Mahomes has a ton of pressure on him coming into this AFC championship game against the team that they are the clear favorite against putting up a lousy performance. Maybe the Titans win, but I don't see Patrick Mahomes folding. I'll take uh, Patrick Mahomes to throw the most touchdowns this weekend as a complete even bet, seven to return seven on that one. Yeah, I kind of like that. <clears throat> the only thing that worry me is Aaron Rodgers, but they seem to whatever love to feed uh, Aaron Jones once they get down in that red zone. Um, he said Tannehill could sneak up, but I mean, if you really look at the Titans, Tannehill, everybody's praising him, saying he was the man of the year, but especially in these playoffs, he really hasn't been doing anything. He's been a game manager, throwing 80 yards at 80 yards and maybe a touchdown here and there. It's really just been all Derrick Henry, and I think they're going to keep. The only way I see Tannehill throwing touchdown passes is a short pass that somebody breaks one for or a lack of coverage or maybe they get behind the sticks and they have a third and ten in the red zone or something, but they're not going to be throwing from the five, six, seven-yard line even unless it's third down. They're going to be pounding the ball with Henry. Aaron Rodgers is the clear scary one here, but over the past six games, he's averaged 1.3 touchdowns per game, and that's with a four-touchdown performance in there. Um, So... Plus, San Fran's got an elite pass defense over there. Exactly. A lot of people don't realize it. And the opposite is true as well. Jimmy Garoppolo has been, you know, not great, solid this season, but he's going up against a good Packers defense. So those games, I don't expect either quarterback to go for more than two touchdowns, especially because they're both run-first teams, it seems like, at this point. So it, there's, in my opinion, there's three teams in the championship games that are run-first defensive teams then the other one is a pass-first offensive team. I'm going to take the pass-first offensive team to score more passing touchdowns than the rest of them. It's just that simple. I probably explained it. Like I said, I wasn't going to too in-depth, but, you know, whatever. All right. So I'm going to move over to what's been my bread and butter, the UFC. And first one, this one I don't have a ton of confidence on, but it, it just the way it kind of lines up, I like looking at these things that line up a little weird, and I think maybe Vegas could be missing something. Um, is Holly Holm versus Raquel Pennington. So Holly Holm kind of bust on the scene and became famous. Most people, even me, myself, really didn't know anything about her until a Ronda Rousey knockout that she had. But if you look at her career since Ronda Rousey's fight, she is 2-5 and five since basically 2016 and forward. So in the last three and a half years, she is two and five. Now, granted, she's fought some top competition. Amanda Nunes has beaten literally everybody she's fought. She probably beat half the men in the UFC. She's an animal. Chris Cyborg, also an animal. Uh, Jermaine D. Rajami, I can't say that properly, but she just fought for a title or is about to fight for a title, I believe. And then Valentina Shevchenko is also a title holder. And then you have Misha Tate, who's been a kind of, not a journeyman, but she's not been an elite uh, UFC fighter. She's kind of a pioneer for the women's uh, MMA. But regardless, she she's two and five. Hasn't been doing the best. You look at Raquel Pennington. 
I mean, I'm not trying to say she's had an elite career since then either. But again, if you look at this 2016 and forward, she's at least four and two. So you have a two and five fighter versus four and two in the last four years. Her two losses are to the same people that uh, Holly Holman lost to, Amanda Nunes and then again, Jermaine Du Rajami. So it, it's not like she's been losing to bad fighters. They have a similar record. Both their losses are to the same people. And then uh, Holly Holm has a couple more losses on top of that. Um, uh, Another reason that I really like, and I know everybody probably wants to hear stylistic matchups, but honestly, I think stylistic, unless you have a clear difference in UFC, doesn't mean anything. Because if it really did, every single UFC fighter would make a ton of money betting in UFC because they know stylistically who's a better fighter. I mean, think about it. You have a wrestler versus stand-up fighter. Stylistically, you're going to say, well, if you can keep it on the feet, the stand-up guy's going to win. And you're going to say, stylistically, if the wrestler can get to the ground, it's over. You don't know what's going to happen, though. What happens when that wrestler shoots and they catch a knee or something, and now they're scared to shoot? Or what happens if they shoot and get a lucky takedown, and now the, the stand-up... I mean, stylistically, in a perfect world, that's the way you can analyze a fight. But if that's really all that mattered in analyzing a fight, every single person that fought MMA would make millions betting on it. You really got to look at some of these intangibles. Um one of the big ones that I think is too is age. There's some sort of age curve. I mean, you can argue what the exact number is where fighters start to roll off. And you look at somebody like Holly Holm, she's been a champion, so she doesn't really have anything left to fight for. She's just kind of fighting to, it's something she loves doing. But I think that drive kind of, you lose that drive once you start to get older and you've already accomplished the, the best thing you can do in the UFC is be a champion. She's already been a champion. So I don't think, not that she has nothing to fight for. She obviously has money and a win on her career but she's now 38 years old um 38 in the fighting age most most fighters seem to peak maybe in their late 20s early 30s uh maybe late 20s you're probably your peak athletic shape but you can all have all the experience that's why i say kind of into the early 30s even a little bit because that's when you kind of can combine still having elite athleticism and also you have the experience and kind of knowledge of what to do in there and how to prepare for fights also holly Holmes got KO'd very badly in her last fight. Head kick straight to the head. First time she'd been KO'd in her life, uh, at least in the uh, UFC. I, I don't think she ever got KO'd in kickboxing either. Now, I'm sure in training she's had concussions and stuff, but that's got to do something to a person. She's gone her whole career, and all of a sudden, boom, head kick to the face. She's done. I mean, that, that I'm sure that gets her nerves going a little bit. I'm sure she's a little uneasy going in, coming back after a head kick. You saw the same thing with Ronda Rousey. After she got kicked in the face by Holly Holm herself, she was never the same. You could just because I mean you're, I mean it changes you. Some people come back from it, some don't. I don't expect a 38 year old fighter to come back from never having been knocked. I almost think some of these fighters benefit from getting knocked out early in their career, um, because you you can kind of get over it when you're young. You can chalk it up to oh it's a bad loss. Here we go. But you can even have a fight or two to get those nerves out of you. Um, Lastly, Holly Holm actually pulled out of this exact fight a couple months ago due to injury. So she is an aging fighter coming off of her first time being knocked out, not a good record in the last four years, and pulled out of this exact fight a few months ago due to an injury. Maybe she was scared. Maybe she was truly injured. Either one of those are bad for her. You're either saying she was recently injured or you're saying that she was scared. You'll get Raquel Pennington. She, on the other hand, is, like I said, maybe entering her prime. She's 31 years old. Um... I don't see her going on and doing anything crazy, but I mean, all of her fights are at a good fighter. She actually fought Holly Holm uh, five years ago now. 
loss in a split decision. So it was basically an even fight. One judge went one way and two went the other. Um, the key to that, though, is that's five years ago. That's when Holly Holm was 33 years old and Raquel Pennington was in her mid-20s. So you're looking at kind of an upcoming fighter versus an experienced athletic veteran. Now you got the experienced athletic uh, veteran fighting an aging kind of one-foot-out-the-door type fighter. And you're getting plus money on uh, Raquel Pennington. I, I mean, like I said, it's I don't have huge confidence, so it's only a five-unit bet for 525. But I don't know, things like this, they, they seem to kind of pass the torch along pretty quickly in the UFC, especially after you get that first knockout. Like I said, Ronda Rousey got knocked out by Holly, came back, got knocked out again, and then she was done. There's something to that knockout that I think kind of scares scares some fighters away. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't follow the UFC super closely, so I I don't have a ton of comment on that one. But 38 year old coming off of injury, you know, suspending the fight, I think that's pretty a pretty good one to tail, honestly. Especially like you said, the the torch is passed fast, and those it's not just those. Uh, tennis, um, golf, that type of thing. When it's only you, the torch is passed fast because when it's Tom Brady falling off a cliff, Tom Brady's still good enough to make his teammates better. But could Tom Brady go win a Super Bowl by himself at this point? It's very obvious he couldn't, but he's good enough to make his teammates better to go win the Super Bowl. When you're a UFC fighter or a golfer or a tennis player and you fall off, you can't be good enough to make your teammates better and anymore you have to be good enough to go win it by yourself so i think there's definitely something to say those fall-offs in individual sports at least you said that was a five unit bet for you yeah i had it at 10 earlier but like i said it's i think it's kind of a coin toss of a fight so i'm taking the plus money side okay i got you all right so i will while we're on it now this is this is kind of a average of thousands of fights but there's a ufc database when you have a young versus an old fighter more than five to seven years difference in age, the young fighters winning 62% of the time. And even as an underdog, I think they win like 58% of the time. So that just goes to show now, again, that isn't perfectly filtered for how old somebody is, how young somebody is, but just in general saying the young person wins more often than not, even as an underdog. Yeah. So I'm going to keep us in football here. My creativity of betting on the NFL is continuing to step up its game here. Um, Jared, I'm actually going to pull one out of your book. I'm going to do a little teaser. I haven't done a teaser yet um, in our show. I think this is an interesting one. I'm going to tease the Green Bay 49ers game. Both are over-unders, I should say. I'm going to tease the Green Bay 49er game at over 40 and a half and the Tennessee Titans-Kansas City game at under 58 and a half. That's going to be an eight-unit bet to return 6.2. I don't have much to say on it. I think it's a pretty obvious as to why I'm doing this. I'll start with the Green Bay 49er one. This one, as I said, could be a low scoring game. That's why I like to tease the over on it to, to really get it down low. I could have teased the under on it by pushing it up, but I think there's a better chance that this game gets a little out of control like that Saints uh, 49ers game than it does to just be completely super low scoring. But in Green Bay's... Seven of Green Bay's last eight games, they've hit at least 20 points, meaning to hit the over at 40 and a half, each team has to hit 20. Seven of Green Bay's last eight, they've hit that 20. 49ers, 10 of their last 11, they've hit that 20. So between those two teams, 
Obviously, it doesn't match up perfectly like this because the defenses they're playing are different. But 17 of their past 19 games, if you combine it, they would hit this over of 40 and a half. That is an outstanding number. That's not like, oh, slightly above 50. That's almost every time these two teams are going to cover that over. Now, obviously, it's teased down. I think the normal one is like 46 and a half or 47 for the over-under. But I just like, basically, each team has to score two touchdowns here. And then one team has to kick a field goal or two. And the other one has to score a third touchdown. That is just so well within the realm of possibility with Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, and George Kittle on the field. And you've also got players, Devontae Adams is almost good for a touchdown per game. Aaron Jones is almost good for a touchdown per game. I like to see this game as a 24-20 game, something covering that over for sure. Um, I've got the under teased at 58.5 for Tennessee, um, Kansas City. This one, I'll admit I'm a little more skeptical of because I could totally see Kansas City coming in and just blowing the doors away and you know putting up 40 points themselves like they put up 50 last game against the, uh, against the Texans because they had to. But as I was explaining earlier, this is a game script – type that I don't think the chiefs are going to go out trying to score 40 or 50. Obviously that's your goal. If you can score 40 points, you're going to try to do that. Don't try to think that I'm stupid by saying the chiefs aren't going to try to score a lot of points, but when you're going into this game, a lot of times when you're game planning as a coach, you set a number of points that your goal is to get to that number of points in order to win this game. I don't think the chiefs are doing that in this game because who knows but the Titans are going to come out and unleash. The Titans could possess the ball for 40 minutes. How are the Chiefs going to score 50 points if the if the Titans have the ball for two-thirds of the game? I legitimately think Kansas City's goal in this game is to dominate time of possession. I think that's their main goal. If they can keep Derrick Henry off the field and force Ryan Tannehill to throw the ball, force them in third and six, third and sevens to where they're one-dimensional and Kansas City knows what's going on, that's going to play to Kansas City's strengths. And it's going to play to the Tennessee Titans' weakness. I know Andy Reid tends to fall apart in these big games, but I think this is one where he gets it right. If you look around the NFL right now, it's a bunch of young coaches left and Andy Reid. So you can't really say Andy Reid's going to blow it when he's playing against a bunch of people who we have no idea any coaches about. So I like that game to just be a little bit more low scoring. Same kind of idea, 27-20, or 16 something like that. I think the Chiefs will probably win this game, but I like it to be a little bit more low scoring. And I think that the 49ers will probably win that other game uh, between them and the Packers, but I like that to be a little high, higher scoring. So again, I just really like both game scripts falling within these over-unders. I think Green Bay 49ers are going to be forced to go for it on some fourth downs. It's going to be a close game late. They're going to have to score some points. And the opposite, Tennessee Chiefs uh, game, I think the Chiefs, obviously, they're going to want to score points. But their goal isn't to be going to get touchdowns in two minutes. Their goal is to be put together good, consistent drives so that they can obviously win the football game in a more reasonable way than just trying to outshoot the other team. I could be crazy. Maybe Kansas City goes and puts up 50 again and pretty much covers this over by themselves. But I like the game scripts to follow those over-unders. Again, Green Bay 49ers to cover 40 and a half and the Titans Chiefs to co- or to not cover 58 and a half between the two of them. So that's an eight-unit bet to return 6.2. Just all on game scripts, really. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree. I, I, the 49ers-Packers one is one I've gone back and forth on. I don't really know what's going to happen there. I, I think it's going to go over even just the, the straight up over. It's probably, what, 47? I think, it was, and a half. I think it's 46 and a half because I think it teased me down six. So, and then I, I'm a little more confident in that Titans and Chiefs one. Like you said, I just think – there's two things I see here. I see either it being a tough fought game, and if that's the case, it's probably going to be mid twenties to mid twenties type game because Chiefs aren't running away. Or if the Chiefs do open it up, I think it's going to be a blowout, and you might still win. You might still have your bet hit just because it's exactly a, a thirty-one to fourteen type game where the Chiefs go score almost half of your teaser or more than half, but the Titans barely do anything. The Titans. And- the one thing I think people are all on the Titans right now, but they're not built to come back from behind. If they have to start throwing the ball a lot and can't feed Henry, they might not do a whole lot on offense at all at that point. I think the biggest thing in that game is that I'm assuming both teams are really going to want to possess the ball. The Chiefs are really going to want to possess the ball because that's Tennessee's goal, is to go in and hold the ball for 45 minutes, feed Derrick Henry 35 times. So Kansas City is going to do everything to not allow that. And that's pretty much the only way Tennessee can win the game. It's not like Tennessee is going to come in and say, oh, our goal is now for Ryan Tannehill to throw 45 times. They might be able to win like that, but their goal is definitely going to be time possession. I think both teams are going to try to hold the ball to the best of their ability. This is why I've got the under teased up to the 58 and a half there. So. I like it. All right. So moving over to my final pick in the UFC, I'm going to try to play this real quick. Hopefully my music comes through. I haven't really practiced it, so. We'll see. Hopefully, it's not too loud. Hopefully, you can hear it. But... <laughs> I'd like to take this chance to apologize. Absolutely nobody. So we're going to Conor McGregor here. <laughs> Honestly, I want to take him. I like him. I think he's going to dominate this fight. But the odds just don't make sense to take him himself. It's like minus 300 something. I wish I jumped all over it when I think it was like 220 or 230 when it opened up. Um, he's just a superior fighter to Cowboy. Cowboy has had, yeah, he's had a great career. He's a good fighter. But if you look at Cowboy's record, he, he always struggles with uh, kind of the high-end fighters, but he dominates the, the weaker competition. I wouldn't even call him weak, but like the mid-grade guys, the guys who kind of move up the rankings but never really kind of make that next step. He, he cleans those guys up. He's almost like a, they, they call him stepping stones, but he's, he's better than a stepping stone. He's like the next level of stepping stone. Like it's like getting past him kind of puts you into that title contention. Um, losing to him kind of puts you back down where you got to start a run again after it. Uh, but he himself has never really kind of crossed that bridge to being an elite fighter. Or Connor, a lot of people like to kind of roast Connor because he got smashed by Khabib a year or two ago. Every single person that's fought Khabib has been smashed, and most of them have been smashed way worse than Connor. They forget that three years before that, Connor went on an absolute tear, knocking everybody out left and right, like this is the easiest thing he's ever done. Uh, I don't think he's like a top five of all time, but to say that he's not an elite fighter, one of the better ones of his generation would be absurd. Um, that said, I still don't like to bet on a minus 300 something. Anything can happen, especially he does have weaknesses in his ground game. And Cowboy says he doesn't want to go to the ground, but if he does, you never know. I think Connor would be in trouble. But what my play is, I'll finally get to it, is the over one and a half. I locked it in at minus 120 last night, so I'm sticking with it. But I saw it moved up this morning, I think, almost minus 150. I still like it at minus 150, 160, but I would stay away once you get up to about 200. It's just not worth it. 
Um, the reason I like the over here is everybody thinks that Connor is this knockout artist, uh, one round knockout artist, which was true early in his career. But early in your career, that's why a lot of times when I look at UFC, I like to look at recent fights. Because um, if you look at early in your career, before you know that Connor's an elite fighter who's going to be at the top of the UFC, he's fighting a lot of guys that never even make the UFC, let alone are good in the UFC. So, of course, he's starching these guys. He's fighting guys that are probably a couple levels up from the guy at your local gym. you got to start looking at once he's fighting actual good competition in the UFC. And if you look at that, since he got into the UFC, I think he only has, and that's getting into the UFC, he's still fighting kind of lower-level guys. I think he only has, like, three or four first round knockouts and he's got five or six fights that went further than that. So on average, he's going beyond one and a half rounds. Um, now on top of that, this is his first fight back in what, two and a half years, I think, or not two and a half, but a little over two years. No, actually it's only one and a half, but still, so he's been out for one and a half years, finally coming back. It's also a five round fight. You got to remember <clears throat> Connor's always had questions about his gas tank. Can he go, a full five. Well, he saw it with Nate Diaz, he can, but he does still gas out. I think he knows that as well. So he's not going to pounce and try to go win in the first round unless the opening is there. Like if he catches Cowboy and he falls and it's a, an opportunity to end it, he'll go for it. But he's not going to come out on an onslaught and try to win it in the first round because he knows if he doesn't and he gasses out, he's going to have four rounds to go. And that's going to bode very bad for a guy with a bad gas tank. Cowboy, on the other hand, is a guy who tends to start slow and kind of pick it up as it goes. So Connor knows he has to have a little bit left in the tank for those last few rounds. Now, again, if the opening's there, he's going to take it, but he's not going to go out like an, an animal and push the pace and try to catch Cowboy early on, especially being back in his first fight. He hasn't fought a uh, <clears throat> kind of a stand-up type fighter in about three years. Khabib is not known as a stand-up fighter. He was more trained to uh, kind of fight off the uh, grappling of Khabib. So I think he's really going to take that first round and just kind of feel it out and kind of see his distance, kind of get his feet going again, get his knock off the ring rust, they like to call it. So now you go into the second round. You're just hoping they go two and a half minutes into the second round. As I mentioned, Cowboy's kind of a slow starter. So I really don't expect Cowboy to do much in the first round. Both these guys also have a lot of respect for each other. They have a very, I mean, they're the main event draw. I don't think either of them are planning to go out and just end this thing in 30 seconds. Now you never know what can happen in a fight. But I think over one and a half is almost a, one of the easiest bets I've ever seen. Um, I think I have 10 units right now on it. I'm kind of mad I didn't put more than that. Um, yeah, I just think, I mean, Connor's trying to rejuvenize his career here. I think he's trying to get one more run in. He's a rich, rich dude with his Floyd Mayweather fight and his whiskey fight, or his whiskey fight, his whiskey company now. So he doesn't need the money. And I think he knows that this is more just a pride thing. This is how he grew up is fighting. He wants to make one more run to try to get that title, get Khabib. And I think he knows that if he goes out and gets starched by a Cowboy Cerrone, not that that's the end of him, but that kind of, that puts a huge block in his plan. Cause then he's going to have to probably go win two or three fights. He's already not old, but he's 31 or so. If he loses, it probably be 32 by the time he's fighting again. And like I said, he's probably going to have to win two or three fights to kind of move back up the ladder because he'll have come back on a uh, long time off and lost to a guy who's not known as an elite fighter. Where, if he goes out and wins this fight, I think he's, you could maybe even argue that he's in line for a title fight. I mean, the guy has, all he's done is won besides the Nate Diaz fight when Nate was about 30 pounds six in him, and then he lost to Khabib and then actually a really good fight. And Khabib 
probably one of the best that weight division's ever seen. So you could argue that he had one slip up against Khabib and he's ready to go again. So I think this fight is very important to him and he's going to be careful and he's going to be a technician and he's got masterful uh, distance control. I think he's going to make sure he doesn't get caught. He's going to be weary of the takedown. He's going to keep his distance and just pick him apart until he finally does catch him. And then he's going to just pounce on him. I, I mean, like I said, anything can happen, but this fight is not set up to be a one and a half round fight. This is, I could see this going deep into the third, if not even all the way to the distance. I've looked at playing with going the distance. I think it's like a plus 300 or something you're getting. It might be worth sprinkling a little bit on, but I don't know. I could see in those late rounds, either Cowboy gets desperate and tries to go to the ground or gets caught and ends up. Yeah, I, I wouldn't play with it, but it's, it's not the worst odds if you want to go for it. But like I said, I think this is going to be a very interesting fight. I like Connor by a landslide. I just don't like betting on the minus 300 something. I almost want to put a little bit on Cowboy just because, I, like I said, I always like betting on those UFC underdogs. But I don't want to bet on a guy that I'm rooting against. It just kind of makes the fight not really fun to watch to be rooting for both sides to lose and both sides to win. So uh, I'm going to stick with that over one and a half, though, and I'm very confident in that. Yeah, I like – here's the reason why I like the over one and a half. It might seem kind of stupid, but I'm pretty sure – again, I don't follow a ton of MMA, but I'm pretty sure Connor and Cowboy are friends, aren't they? Uh, I don't like, know if they're friends, but they've been very – what's the word I'm looking for? Very um, respectful, appreciative of each other, respectful in the last few months. Like If you watch their press conference, Connor's complimenting his suit and his clothes and talking about how expensive they are and that he's a great fighter. And I mean, they're – it's not like a bloodbath where they're ready to kill each other. Yeah, so that's like almost why like, I don't want to say that's a reason for one to for the fight to go longer. But you imagine being in a fight with somebody that you absolutely hate, like Connor fighting Khabib. Those two people absolutely hated each other. As soon as you see your opponent has a tiny bit of a weakness, as soon as you see any chance to go all out to legitimately try to kill your opponent, you're going to do it. If you have a lot of respect for the other guy, I'm not saying you're not trying to win the fight, but you're going to be much more, I guess, lackadaisical on your approach. Uh, maybe lackadaisical isn't the, the right word, but it's you're not going to take the exact first opportunity you have to try to hurt somebody to do it, you're going to play more of a respectful fight because you respect the, the person you're fighting. I don't know. That's just my internal. If I was fighting somebody that I was kind of respectful with, friendly with, whatever, in a UFC fight, I would still try to knock them out, but it'd be a lot different than if I was fighting somebody that I absolutely hated. You don't so, have that you know, killer mentality where you just want to smash them. Exactly. And it, like that killer mentality can help you lose the fight quickly as well. Like if, if Connor has the killer mentality and gets caught randomly because he's trying so hard to knock the other guy out. I don't know. It's just a a funny way to look at it, but I think the over one and a half, you had one of those bets earlier in our, in our year. And I I like that too. And I think we've both followed that and it it paid off for us. So I like that over one and a half boxing fights going over, especially in a, in a, five round fight as well. And like you said about Connor taking his time off, you can you imagine taking a year and a half off, coming back to kind of trying to revamp your UFC career and getting yourself knocked out in the first round? I mean, he's gonna at least be a little cautious. And I think Connor's Here's the one the thing, you obviously if he draws the fight along and loses, but it's a good fight, that's not gonna look that bad. They're gonna say he looks exactly. good. He just needs to get going again. If he goes out and knocked the rust smoked, off. He he has he doesn't have much to win. It's like a lose. If he goes out and wins in a minute, it looks good. If he goes out and wins in 20 minutes, it looks good. 
If he yeah. goes out and loses in 20 minutes, it doesn't look bad. But if he loses in a, one minute, it does look bad. It's kind of like way bigger risk for him to try to end this fight in a couple minutes. Yeah, the only way Connor comes out looking like he's in shambles is if he gets knocked out in the first round or something crazy like that. Anything else, you know, if the fight goes the distance or whatever and he loses, it's because Cowboy's one of the best long-term UFC fighters. You know, I think he's got the most wins. I'm not, like you said, he's not fighting top-tier competition, but he's not just some crappy opponent. You know, if you go the full distance with him after taking two years off, essentially, and then lose in a decision, you're likely still going to get a high-octane fight. You know, it's not, it's nothing to, to hang your head on, really. But I'm going to wrap up my picks here. I know we've been going a little bit long, but I'm going to take the Titans at plus 290. You heard it here first against the Chiefs. Um, really, I've been all in on the Titans, kind of by accident, kind of by on purpose, but they've been just great for me lately. Week 17 came around. I'll, t- I'll flash you back. Um, and I took the Titans at plus 7,700 to win the Super Bowl. I was just looking at odds, who I thought had a good chance to make the playoffs and, and maybe make a little bit of a run. And they had pretty much the best odds of anybody that was had a potential to make the playoffs. And I think that they're one of those teams that can make a run. Clearly, I've been a little bit right on that run because of a couple things. Mainly, Derrick Henry, they've got a good defense. But further than that, actually, I was kind of had more faith in Ryan Tannehill this playoffs than he's shown. I'll admit I was a little bit wrong on that. But the reason being is when you're going to the playoffs, you're looking at all the film you can on a quarterback. Ryan Tannehill's only been playing quarterback in the Tennessee Titans system for like nine weeks. Every other quarterback you've got film on, you have at least a full year on, sometimes two or three years of film on them. Ryan Tannehill, you've got almost no film on at all. So I thought that they would make a, in the Titans offense at least, so I thought that they would make a little bit of a run there, and they have. And here's the other kicker that I have. In my work, work we did a random NFL drawing. So you pay 20 bucks and you get a random team in the playoffs. And I was the first person... My name was picked, Adam, first team out, the Titans. I hand to my forehead, are you kidding me? How could I get the Titans of all these other teams available? Now how awesome is that looking? So I got the Titans at plus 7,700. I got the Titans in my work bet. And on top of that, I took the Titans straight up to beat the Patriots and the Ravens. So the Titans are killing it for me. This is probably where it all comes to an end. They're probably going to get washed by the Chiefs. But Plus 290, I think, is great odds. Like, it seems like the Titans are not really getting much respect, even though over the past, like, six, eight weeks, they've been one of the best teams in the NFL. Defensively, they've been great. Rushing the ball, they've been great. And actually, Ryan Tannehill in quarterback efficiency this year is leading the NFL in quarterback efficiency. Now, that's a lot to do with play action and Derrick Henry, and he only throws the ball 20, 25 times a game, as opposed to Patrick Mahomes. It's much harder to be efficient when you're throwing the ball 45 times a game as opposed to 25 times per game. I'm not arguing or telling you Ryan Tannehill's the best quarterback left in the playoffs. I think he's the most underrated quarterback left in the playoffs. So I like the Titans team, good defense, good style, good, hard, gritty nose coach. Jared, I'm going to take a bit of a tangent here. Did you know before the Lions hired Matt Patricia, we interviewed Vrabel and we interviewed Patricia and then we hired Patricia and then Vrabel went on to interview with the Titans and was hired as the Titans. Do you know that? And uh, a year or two before that, when we pass on Derrick Henry. Just garbage. We, yeah, and that draft, it, I, and we don't even need to talk about that, but 
just incompetency of the Lions franchise, sorry. But all in all, I just kind of wanted to feel like the Titans were being undervalued. I felt like they had been undervalued since week 17. That's why I took them. I thought they were undervalued when they had to play a crappy Patriots team and they beat them. I thought they were slightly undervalued against the Ravens. I really didn't think they had much of a shot to win that game, honestly. I was just kind of hot on the Titans bandwagon there, and they won that game. It's like they continue to be these underdogs and continue to be this team that nobody believes in, and yet they play a style it seems like nobody can stop. They play great defense, and they run the ball harder than maybe any team I've seen in my time watching the NFL. So they're just a hard matchup, and I'm not out here trying to tell you that they're going to win this game. I'm just saying at plus 290, I think they got a puncher shot. I think if late in the fourth quarter, it's a, it's a one possession game. You just never know what's going to happen. And as we've seen, so uh, I'm thinking Titans plus 290 is more of just like a pride thing because I don't want to be so many times and I just want them to clean up for me. But that's why I love it so much. I'm almost tripling my money on a on a uh, one bet there. So I think yeah, that's I mean, a smart I, bet. I can't be mad at it. I actually might as well just bring out my last line too and we can just kind of go back and forth. But I have the Titans at a plus seven and a half. The only reason I do is that I mean, I feel like you're saying the same thing. The Chiefs are probably, well, they're obviously the favorite, but you see yeah. a way that Tennessee could win it, and you like the value at the plus 300, plus 290, whatever. Yeah. Um, same with me. The Chiefs scare me a little bit just because how easily they can score, but I think this game is going to be a close one. I think a lot of people are uh, a little too high on the Chiefs after that Texans comeback, but the Texans, no fault of your boy Deshaun, have one of the worst mm. defenses in the that league. That was... So, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't say Deshaun did a ton. Yeah. He I, probably did enough to win the game if they had a defense, though. They scored 30 yeah. points, didn't they? Or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's, they, I think they scored 31, but they had a, a defensive, a special teams block punt touchdown. Yeah. That was a frustrating game to watch. Just terrible. Really bad coaching by Bill O'Brien there. But yeah, I mean, just like you said, it's, that's the idea of it to me is you can see a way that Tennessee wins this or keeps it close. And that's probably why you're taking the plus seven there or plus seven and a half is this Tennessee Titans team seems like just a difficult team to run away from. Like, how are you going to get up two touchdowns on a team that holds the ball for 40 minutes or 35 minutes a game and is going to give it to the hardest person to tackle 35 times? You know, he's getting like four or five yards no matter what and then break some for 60. How are you going to run away from that team? My big point, too, is, that, like I said, I think the Chiefs people are a little high on just because they went put up 40-something on Houston like it was nothing. But Houston's not – I mean, they're just, they're not, from a defensive standpoint, Tennessee. So I think you're looking at Chiefs lucky to break into the 30s on Tennessee, and that's lucky, I would expect, probably mid-20s. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think the Titans will keep it within a touchdown. I wouldn't necessarily love the line at minus two. Six or at plus six and a half. I like it on the other side of the touchdown. Um, again, anything can happen. I can even see a way Tennessee wins. I had a, a thought of sprinkling the money line as well. But I mean, Tennessee, I'm just looking back at their games. I mean, I'm not going to count the games with Mariota, but since Mariota was gone, they lost by three and they either won. They lost by they lost the 10 to the Saints, which Saints are a great team, so are the Chiefs. But and then that's it. I think since Tannehill's been in, they have on oh, the Panthers, which was one of those just weird fluke games that 
nobody knows what's going to happen. But, I mean, otherwise, they've looked like a, a good team. And to be getting this late in the playoffs, a plus seven and a half, I just think is anything can happen. But I would bet that the odds show you don't have a lot of blowouts in the uh, conference championship game. Yeah, I think that's that's really the big thing. And that's almost why I'm taking the Titans here is there's four teams left. These are I'm not going to say the Titans are one of the best teams in the league over the the course of the regular season but right now who's playing the best football it's hard to say anybody's playing much better than the titans i mean look around the nfl teams with the four that are left the kansas city chiefs maybe you could say are playing better than the titans but they were down 24 to nothing to a let's be honest a pretty average texans team like this is a good texans team a good offensive texans team terrible defense they're not even great offensively they're just good so it's really tough to say the Chiefs are playing better football than anybody. They played a better three quarters than maybe anybody I've ever seen in that game. But of teams that are playing the best football right now, it's it's almost got to be the Titans. Or the Titans are at least cannot be left out of that conversation. So the fact that you're getting such great odds or over a touchdown underdog, I just really like that. I think that the Titans are one of those teams, like I said, it's difficult to run away from. It's difficult now, if the Chiefs do get up 21-0 in the first quarter or 17-0, it's going to be difficult because, like you said, the Titans aren't great at playing from behind. But I really rarely expect the Titans to be down by two touchdowns. Just how they play, it's just so hard to run away from this team. I agree. Now, Jared, we actually didn't discuss a head-to-head um, prior to this. Do you want to pick one right now? Yeah. Or pick a, or we could even pick something else, like a, like a prop bet, or like each of us picks one team to go to the Super Bowl between the NFC or AFC games, and then we see if our team wins the Super Bowl or something. Or what do you want to do? Yeah, we could do that. It could be like okay. a head to head that we each you pick a Super Bowl champ, and so since All you. Right. Since you are winning the head-to-head four to five, I'll let you pick the AFC or NFC game that you want, and I'll pick the winner of the other game. Man, I think this the 49ers. I don't know why, and honestly, there's one thing that scares me off that I think the Packers could win, but you're uh, famous saying you have to lose before you can win. It scares me a little bit. This 49ers team has not gotten to that losing before you win point the Packers definitely have but the one thing I just like about the 49ers is they don't play a style of football that's like really easy to just run flat on I mean they're a a very unique running defensive team that just carries well it's not like they're 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 a very complete team they're not a team that's relying on one person to go yeah and I think the thing that scares me especially with that uh you have to lose before you win. I think that's very valid when you have one or two guys that you rely on, like a quarterback or uh, somebody like that, that they need to be on. Where this 49ers team, I feel like, I mean, they could have their best player, their two best players, com- probably not even playing the game and they're still a top team in the league just because they're such a complete team. Maybe missing Nick Bosa would be a, a big deal for the defense. They lose a lot of pressure. But outside of Nick Bosa, I don't see really one piece that is just absolutely – needed for them to be at the level they're at no I, I think they're they're maybe not my favorite pick but i feel like they're probably the safest pick yeah very complete full picture team um 
you gave me a handout. You left me with the Chiefs, probably the, the, the playoff favorite so far, um, and probably the biggest overdog playing the biggest underdog this week. But I'm not taking it. I'm not taking your bet. I'm not taking your bait, Jared. I'm taking the Tennessee Titans. I'm sticking with it. They're my Super Bowl team. They're going to win this week against the Chiefs. And I think they will play the 49ers in the Super Bowl. So we'll have a great head-to-head to fall back on and talk about um, come Super Bowl Sunday. But I am taking the Titans to upset the Chiefs. I don't even care if I don't have odds on this one. This is just a head-to-head. I'm taking the Titans to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. And they're going to be a tough matchup for the 49ers. So hopefully your team gets there because, you know, let's be real. Aaron Rodgers is apparently the greatest player ever, but not really. Yeah, I- I do want to point out, I didn't take it. I should have. I did tell everybody back in uh, week 17, plus, plus 600 on that Kansas City. Gun to my head, I'm probably going to pick the Chiefs to win this game if my life is in the line. But I just love truly a team. Like said, they a lot on Derrick Henry, but they are such a great team. Like they got AJ Tannehill, who just makes plays when they need to. They got a good offensive line. All I'm, I'm Titans on that one straight up on our head-to-head. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, that's everything. How much did you uh, total bet today? What was your total bets? Uh, I went a little lower than yours. I'm at 40. Yours have been about 50, and I can win uh, about 38. Yeah, my total bets are 37. I'm sticking right around that low 40s where I've been most of the year. My total winnings could be 44 so it's pretty safe week for me 37 for 44 but looking to get on that triple up all right have a good weekend everybody and let's uh get this bread all right let's do this let's see if we can make some money off these championship games